Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Hey, it's James from Australia. I'm loving the podcast. I just have a question around Cenex Corporation, SNX. I'm um, just wondering what your thoughts are for buying. Thanks. And provides unbiased answers. Good company to have in your watch list, but I just wouldn't pull the trigger here. Invest Talk, over 29 million downloads and counting. I'm calling today about the Volkswagen ticker symbol VLKPF. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-SHARK. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, February 25th, 2021 edition of Invest Talk. I appreciate you all tuning in during this hour, and I'm going to do my best to make it informative and instructive for you today so you can make better money decisions. That's that's our goal every day, right? This is called Invest Talk, but investing requires good discipline. On a daily basis, whether it's your personal finance situation or your investment situation. So we're here to guide you in as many ways as we possibly can. So anything financial, uh, we certainly have the expertise to give you at least uh, some takeaway. If I can't answer the question, I can point you in the right direction. Say that. So we are going to operate this hour with our mission statement independent thinking and shared success. That is our assurance to you that whatever I speak about, whether it's about the market, a particular stock, uh, explaining a process or the definition of a strategy, for example, it'll be all presented without bias. We're just here to give you the facts. Now, I'm Justin Klein. Of course, I encourage you to contact us with your finance and investment questions, and you get to shape the show to your liking if you You call, and you can call right now, live, during our live stream, 4 to 5 Pacific time, each and every weekday, or you can leave a question anytime in our Invest Talk voice bank. That number never changes, 888-99-CHART. So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hi, guys. Thanks for everything you uh, provide for us uh, people at home uh, trying to figure out what's going on in this market these days. I wanted to see what your thoughts were on Unum Group, ticker U-N-M. I'll look forward to hearing it on the uh, podcast. Thanks so much, guys. Bye. This is Joe from Idaho. All right. Thanks for the call. Looking at Unum Group, I, I've actually never heard of this. I'm kind of a mid-cap company, $5.5 billion market cap. They provide group and individual income protection insurance here in the U.S. and the U.K. It is the largest domestic disability insurer. So that's pretty interesting. They, they're the largest, and I have honestly haven't heard of it. So it's kind of a, a niche market. And it also has long-term care insurance, life insurance, employer and employee paid group benefits, et cetera. So it's primarily makes, it sells it through brokers. So it's, it's the life insurance company that uh, are putting out the policies. And I like that they're not too overly focused on universal health care or universal life insurance, 
whole life. Uh, it does not their main product base because I think that's kind of going away. Yields about 4%. And their business did very well last quarter. Um, looks relatively cheap. Let me look at some of the cash flow numbers here. Trailing 12 months and about $500 million in free cash flow and a $5 million market cap. Or sorry, $5 billion market cap. So that's a pretty good free cash flow yield. And if they can go back to where they were pre-pandemic, 2019, they were doing $1.5 billion. Uh, so I kind of like this. Long-term profitability is relatively strong. The chart continues to improve. It's uh, not back to pre-pandemic levels, but it's working its way up there. And I'm going to give this a thumbs up. That's UNM. I like the insurers, and I like this niche in general. So I'm a fan. Now, why are we here today? Why am I doing this podcast? Well, I know you want and need help. You need somebody to turn to for straightforward explanations about pros and cons of particular decisions, whether that's an investment decision or just a money decision. And that's why I'm here ready to take your calls now. You can call our Invest Talk listener line at 888 chart You can leave a message after hours or connect with us live if you're listening 4 to 5 Pacific time. Now let's check in on the market today. It was a rough day in the markets. S&P down nearly 100 points, 96 points down, about 3%. Closed below yesterday's low and near the lows from Tuesday, right? We had that big bounce back rally. By the dip was alive and well yesterday. Uh, but that failed today. And the big reason it failed today, interest rates. We've talked about this. The march higher in interest rates is going to decimate, absolutely decimate the high multiple growth story stocks that are in the market. And you've seen that today. You've seen a lot of them down 10, 15, 20% on the day. Well, what was the main story? Well, the main story was not just that interest rates were up, but why were they up? It was because of an auction. It was a seven-year auction for treasuries, about $62 billion. And, you know, our deficit is so large. They're, they're monetizing the debt so fast. They're, they're printing, you know, they're, they're borrowing money. Our deficit is massive, you know, probably going to be another three to four, maybe $5 trillion this year after $6 trillion last year. Really, it's exponential growth in our debt. And while politicians are using the excuse, oh, it's COVID, it's an emergency, we need to do it. Well, guess what? The markets don't care the reason. They just know that it's happening, right? And so the market's having to sop up all of this treasury issuance. And what was interesting was this auction went horribly, and it was actually the worst bid to cover, meaning how many bids that were out there to buy versus how much they were actually selling. And it was at about 2.04, which sounds high, right? It's basically more than double what they were selling. However, it went off at a higher rate than the pre-auction trading had indicated, meaning what seven-year rates were pre-auction. And that 2.04 was the lowest bid to cover since 2009. 
very bad. When you get close to that two, if it's below two, that is really, really bad. Kind of near two, which is basically where it came in, it was horrible, really horrible treasury auction. And that spiked yields up pretty dramatically. On the day, the 10-year up almost 13 basis points to 1.51%. Remember, start of the year, we were right around the 1% mark on the 10-year. Roughly, let's call it. Early, early January. And we were kind of there for most of January. We bumped up. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. End of year. I'm looking at the wrong month here. End of year, yeah. We were right around that 1% rate. And as soon as the year started, the 10-year took off. Hit about 1.17, uh, pulled back to 1%, 1%, and then took off from there. The low in August of last year was 0.5. So it took about six months to go from 0.5 to uh, 1%. So 100 basis points or 50 basis points, it only took two months for you to go from 1% to 1.5. And it's starting to become disorderly. And the markets, the economy is addicted and priced for 10-year treasury to stay in that 0.5 to 1% range. You start creeping up to 1.5, especially that 2%. 2%, I think alarm bells are going to go off. You're starting to get warning signs, you know, kind of flashing lights, everyone waking up, hey, the 10 years at 1.5, the 30 years at 2.3. These are rates that are unsustainable based on the valuations in the markets, in real estate market, in the, in the stock market, and, and clearly in the bond market more broadly. And so this is the driver of the recent volatility. And as long as rates keep going up, as long as inflation keeps going up, this is going to be a big story until the Fed steps in. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. Steve Pease and I have recorded a new Rapid Fire Hour podcast. In the course of one hour, we move quickly through 30 listener questions, so you'll get our unbiased answers in an energetic format. Tell your friends and family members the Invest Talk Rapid Fire Hour podcast is free and available on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, as well as investtalk.com. Our phone lines are open, so call now at 888-99-SHART. For investors, the goal of achieving financial freedom requires unbiased information, strategic planning, and determination. Congratulations. You found the podcast that is dedicated to helping you succeed. Invest Talk. Steve and Justin welcome your questions anytime on the Invest Talk listener line, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Wesley in Stockton, and we'll talk about options. Um, I'm sorry, I, it was not options I was curious about. It was more, um, I want to protect my 401k for an inflationary environment. Um, and mm -hmm. I've moved some money into over uh, international, but... Uh, According to Vestipedia, they suggest arrogant bonds and real estate, and those are two options I have. But in a rising interest environment with inflation, would those be good places to put up, you know, 10% or 20% of my 401k? And why is arrogant bonds um, a good investment for inflationary environments? I'll take your answer off air. Thank you. What, what, uh, I, can I get some clarity real quick? What is that first? What oh, yeah. kind of bonds? Um, arrogant bonds, ag bonds, A aggregate bonds, maybe. 
aggregate bond. Is it the uh, aggregate bond also, index? I guess. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, so that's just uh, that's the aggregate bond index. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'm happy to answer that question. Uh, aggregate bond index, no. Inflation is bad, bad. You just look at AGG. That's the aggregate bond index ETF. It is down from its high in August of last year from about $120 per share. Now it's down to 114 So, you know, that's off about 5%. But you can see in an environment where interest rates are rising, bonds aren't good overall. And as, and I've said this before about the aggregate bond index, as treasury supply just explodes, you're going to be forced into buying more and more of these treasuries that are issued out there in the marketplace. And the yield right now on the aggregate bond index is only 1.22%. That's after, you know, yields have gone up. So you're not going to get much yield there. Uh, and that would be very bad to own the aggregate bond index, especially with so much treasuries, uh, treasuries as, a, as a percentage of that index than it is now. So I would not be owning that. Now, real estate historically is a good hedge against inflation. However, I'm a little bit skeptical in this environment because interest rates, if interest rates go up, mortgage rates go up, that is going to be a problem for affordability. It's going to be a headwind to real estate prices versus a tailwind typically when interest rates have been falling and they have been falling for you know 35 years and now we're starting to see this new environment which most people are not used to which is rising interest rates you're seeing that with the mortgage rate now uh, probably closer to three and a quarter after being closer to what two and three quarters just a few months ago and so I don't think that real estate will be quite the inflation hedge that it typically is if interest rates continue to go up. Now, what I will say is governments and politicians need and want real estate prices to at least stay steady. If real estate prices fall, what does that mean? It means that people feel less wealthy. People are less optimistic about the their financial situation. And that is bad for an incumbent presidency, party, administration, however you want to put it. And so politicians on the national level, on the state level, are always going to do what they can to protect real estate prices. Now, I don't think there's going to be any problem with real estate in the near term because of inventory so very low. The mortgage moratorium is going to be a big part of it. I don't think, but, but long and short, I don't think real estate is a surefire bet to keep up with inflation. Let's just say that. Um, could you have some of it? Sure, but I wouldn't bet the farm using real estate to hedge against inflation in this environment with the rate so low. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we are now almost finished with the final trading week of February. And your goal, financial freedom, will require effective strategies and pertinent information. So we should talk about whatever is on your mind at 888 chart. Markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. Justin Klein is here now and ready to talk with you. Call Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart. 
Now, my focus point today involves the story that self-employed and gig workers could get bigger loans under the new PPP rules that just came out on Monday. The Biden administration changed how the Small Business Administration's PPP program calculates forgivable loans for small firms and sole proprietors. So small means under 20 employees. And this is an area that really didn't get a lot during the first PPP round. Uh, I, I know this for various reasons because I know a lot of people in the, in the business community. And the money flowed to the largest companies typically. Why? Because those t companies typically had the best relationships with the banks, right? If a bank has a business that is flowing millions and millions of dollars into it each and every year, they maybe also have loans out to those businesses that they don't want to go defunct. They're going to do their best to funnel this PPP money, which they know is likely to be forgiven, to those bigger firms. And that's kind of what happened during the first round. Well, this second round is aimed more towards smaller businesses, and those applications are going to be submitted probably early March, and there's, some, uh, there's going to be some uh, directives from the SBA on how to apply. But the firms with employees will get about two and a half times their average monthly payroll costs. And self-employed people will get their gross income for, or be used their gross income uh, for the loan as a basis for payroll uh, based on previous tax returns. So that's how these rules are changing. And this is right along the lines of what I've spoken about before, of what policy is going to do, how policy is going to be very different in this decade versus the past decade, right? Post-financial crisis, it was all about printing money, repairing bank balance sheets, uh, making sure the banks stay solvent because they have a ton of excess reserves. Well, the Fed's already kind of done that. They've, they've printed a ton of money. They've pushed interest rates to zero. They can't really do a whole lot anymore, right? Pushing on a string in that, in, in that sense. Well, what it's shifting to is Fiscal policy, and this is a type of fiscal policy that is target, targeted towards smaller businesses and individuals. Right? That's exactly what this is, small businesses and individuals. And those recipients of this money have a much higher marginal propensity to spend than those that benefited from QE originally. Right? QE originally was to buy assets in inflated asset prices. This is to help individual people. Whether you agree with that or not, that's what the policy is going to do. And those people tend to be lower income. Well, if you've taken economics class, I was an economics minor, you will know that there's something called marginal propensity to spend, meaning every dollar that somebody gets or some entity gets, what is their propensity to spend that money versus save it? Well, wealthy people have a very low marginal propensity to spend. They get more money, they make more money, they feel wealthier. Are they really changing their habits? No, because their habits are kind of at the limit anyway, right? They have a lot of money, so they do what they feel like. And if they get more money, they're still going to do what they feel like. So they're not really doing more, buying more than they had before. Well, if you are making, say, 30, 40, 50, $60,000 a year, you're probably struggling to some degree. 
And if the government puts some money in your pocket or give you a loan that's forgivable, if you're a sole proprietor, for example, and you have a very small business, well, what are you going to do with that money? Odds are you're going to spend it a lot more, right? Because you've been wanting to go on that vacation. You've been wanting to the, buy that pair of shoes. You've been wanting to do this for your, your, your grandson or granddaughter or son or daughter or whatever, right? So you have a much higher propensity to spend. And this is what's driving inflation expectations. Okay? And this is why this decade you should expect higher inflation. Not only because the dollar will be go down, but the money that the government is going to print and put into the hands of people, individuals, will drive a lot more consumption. Now let's pivot now to the Investoc Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier from Minnesota. Hey, Stephen Justin. My name is Travis from Minnesota. Just kind of curious, as a general rule of thumb, should I be floating my student loan debt and just paying the interest every month to invest the remaining balance, or should I pay off all the debt and you know compound my investments at a faster rate later on after all that does pay off? Thanks. Bye. Well, to me, this is more of a, a question about what's going to happen once again with government. Biden's talked about forgiving. $10,000, first two $10,000 in student loan debt for everybody in the country. And so if that's going to be forgiven, then you, why do you really want to pay it down, especially if it's under that 10000 Because that's probably going to happen. We've talked about larger, right? Other parts of uh, the Democratic Party of pushing, are pushing for 25000 Who knows what's going to happen? Um, as long as your rate's very low, hopefully 1%, 2 3%, uh, I would be paying it down like normal, and I, I don't know if I would pay interest only, but I would, you know, that's a tough one. That's definitely a tough one. The, the aggressive strategy is to do interest only and invest that money uh, elsewhere. But I'm more of a conservative. I'd rather still pay it down, but I wouldn't pay it down aggressively in this political environment. And going back to the benefits of, not the benefits, the policy prescription that would also put money in the hands of people that don't have a lot of money. So um, I guess there you have it. Now we're heading to a break. I'm ready to take your calls now at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally. First with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, 
InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99 Chart. Hi, guys. This is Saad from Anaheim. Uh, I had a question about a stock. I bought a couple shares of Lear, L E A. 
I got in about 95 a share. It's, it's up to 150 a share. I had a pretty good 2020 year. Just want to see what you guys think about the stock, if I should get some more, uh, if I should get out, or if there's certain red flags you see. I would appreciate it. Thank you for everything you guys do, and take care. All right, looking at Lear Corporation. This is one of the largest OEM parts manufacturers in the world. Right, They make parts for the auto industry and supply, you know, like Ford, GM, etc. Yields about 0.6%, $10 billion market cap, and certainly the pandemic hurt their, their business, shut down the production, etc. cetera. Uh, but they bounced back pretty well over the last couple of quarters. The issue is, I think it's gotten ahead of itself. Uh, and technically, it looks like it's going to pull back and, and probably roll over here. Our value is closer to $130 a share. Right now, it's at 163 So I would say it's modestly overvalued. But long-term profitability metrics are fairly solid. They have uh, a division in the electric vehicle space, uh, an e-systems division, which is certainly going to grow over time. So, you know, I like the company. I just don't like it here. I would wait for a larger pullback. You get into that 100 to $120 range. That's where I would be excited to pick it up because I would feel it's reasonably undervalued. And right now I'd say it's slightly overvalued. All right, let's keep the pace moving and go straight back to the voice bank for a question that came in earlier from Australia. Hey, it's James from Australia. I'm loving the podcast. I just have a question around Synex Corporation, SNX. Their revenues seem to be growing quarter on quarter. Like a really interesting company. I'm um, just wondering what your thoughts are for buying. Thanks. Bye. All right, looking at Synex, they distribute IT systems, peripheral system components, etc. for the IT industry. And, you know, I like this company. The issue is, I think it's gotten way ahead of itself as well, right? 52-week low of 30, what's it, 29 change? Yeah, it's a 21 and change. Excuse me, now it's $88 a share off a bit from its 52-week high. Uh, but our value is a lot closer to $100, sorry, not $100, uh, $70 than it is right now. Right now it's at 88 So around 70 I would say it's fairly valued, but... I think around 60 would be a great buy point. And I think if you get a lot of volatility here with the market, which is highly likely as long as interest rates continue to go up, then I think you'll find a better buying opportunity. So good company to have in your watch list, but I just wouldn't pull the trigger here with uh, the technical setup of uh, the market and uh, the company uh, individually. So once again, like the company, just I would wait for a larger pullback. Next up, the type of questions we seem to get from time to time. This one concerning saving for retirement. Hey, Stephen, Justin. My name's Nathan, calling from Colorado. My question is about saving for retirement. How do you know how much money you need to save in retirement? You know, I save uh, you know, periodically into an IRA and, and 401k, but I'm not really sure what my goal should be. Thanks for your advice and uh, what you guys do. All right, now, the rule of thumb is typically 10 to 15% of your income each year should be saved in retirement. Now, 
Some of that could be in your 401k, some in your, your IRA, some of that could be through a company match in your 401k. Hopefully you have that. Uh, the rest could be just in a regular brokerage account, savings account, etc. So that's usually a good rule of thumb. I think everybody should try to get up to that 10% level at minimum and ideally 15%. I think one kind of basic way most people can, can do it is to start with 9 10% when they're early in their career. And as you get raises, and you are throughout your, your career are going to get raises, you should up that maybe 1% every time you get a raise, because that raise is going to be typically 2 3 4 5 hopefully or more. And you're not really going to feel that 1% because you're getting that raise. And over time, you can march that up to that 15 and maybe even up to the 20% level. Okay. And I think that's a, a great strategy for everybody uh, to create that automatic savings, especially in your 401k. Because the 401ks are successful because of that automatic nature. So that's why most people save the most in their 401k. This is Invest Talk. We welcome live calls between 4 and 5 Pacific Time weekdays. But now we got a question that came in earlier on 888 chart Hello, this is Abdul from Arizona. I was wondering to buy leaps for DraftKings. Uh, ticker symbol DKNG. So if you can just give me an overview of what you think of this talk, that would be great. Thank you. Well, I like the industry of online sports gambling, and I think it's going to continue to grow. The problem here is that the value on DraftKings has gotten so far ahead of itself. Next year, expected to lose $1.29, which is less than it's supposed to lose. Uh, sorry, this year it's supposed to lose $1.29. Last year, expected to lose $1.91 once they report fourth quarter earnings. And it's a $45 billion market cap trading at, oh, Jesus, uh, almost 100 times revenues here. This is the exact type of name that is all about the story, has the fundamentals are thrown out the window. And if you're buying a leap, or you're buying a leap put, I don't know if they have leap puts, uh, but I, I would say, yeah, I think uh, that's a good good bet. I would not be buying leap calls on DraftKings. I think this is the type of name that's going to underperform as interest rates go up. When money is no longer f free, right? When rates aren't rock bottom, capital actually costs money, then these names that don't make money suddenly become far less attractive. So. I would not be buying leaps on DraftKings or many of the other big multiple tech story stocks in the market today. Now let's get to a question from a listener in North Carolina. Hi, Stephen Justin. This is Dorota calling from North Carolina. I've been listening to your show well, since about May and I've really, really enjoyed it. It's on my daily walks. I'm calling today about the Volkswagen ticker symbol VLKPF or VWAGY. They are both trading on the OTC market, so I'm a little hesitant to pull a trigger. So I was wondering, am I missing something? Is there a Volkswagen ticker symbol that trades on a larger exchange, one and two, if 
you would recommend buying them on the OTC market if you feel the price currently is a good entry point. Thank you so much and hope to hear the response on the show. All right, you are correct that their ticker symbols are all on the OTC market, means uh, the, um, the, the secondary market, not on the major exchanges. It's going to cost you typically some commission to buy that, probably six ninety five is what most brokers charge for OTC trades. So, you know, hopefully it's a decent amount of money you're investing, but I like Volkswagen. I think that this is a company out of all the major automakers has the best chance to overtake Tesla as the leader in electric cars. Uh, they're coming out with a ton of models, something like three dozen over the next uh, five years. And already they have sold about half as many cars, I think last year, uh, electric cars, as, as Tesla. And they're going to eat into their market share again this year and surpass them in volume of electric cars next year as they uh, launch so many Audi models, uh, Porsche models. In fact, my girlfriend and I are going to look at a Porsche model uh, this weekend. So, you know, I, I just think this is a company that has a, a lot more manufacturing prowess, right? The Germans historically are great manufacturers. They're very good at manufacturing uh, products, especially vehicles. And their technology is catching up, if not surpassing, the likes of, of Tesla. So uh, if you're looking to invest in the electric car market, I think Volkswagen is definitely up there uh, near the top of the list, if not the top of the list of plays on the electric vehicle market. So uh, paying a little commission to buy in the OTC market, I don't think that's such a bad thing. Now that we're settling into this new year, I think it's worth taking a minute to make you aware of some of the benefits of working with myself and Steve Peasley at our company, KAPP Financial. First off, we're based in Irvine, California, which, if you don't know, is just south of L.A. And we operate with the same philosophy at KAPP as we do here, independent thinking and shared success, right? We're not just following the herd of the market. We're not indexing or anything like that. And what we do is we practice parallel investing. We invest right alongside our clients, and we provide that unbiased guidance off-air as well. So I encourage you to take advantage of our offer for a free portfolio review assessment via telephone, Skype, or Jive meetings. Or you can send us a message through investtalk.com. Or give us a call at our Irvine, California office at 800-557-5461. Uh, sometimes I pick up the phone. We talk about whatever is on your mind. There's no obligation. We just want to help you. Now let's take a quick break and then play another caller question. There is good news for loyal InvestTalk listeners, their friends, and families. Steve and Justin have recorded a special bonus podcast, the February Rapid Fire Hour. This free podcast is available for download anytime. Typically, each day and night, the InvestTalk call center receives more voicemail questions than Steve and Justin can fit into a live show format. So in the bonus program, caller questions will be played back from our voice bank and answered with brief, unbiased, and helpful responses. The first segment of the Rapid Fire Hour is hosted by Justin Klein, and Steve Peasley handles the second half. It's a fast-paced learning podcast for the average investor. 
It's free, so be sure to tell your friends. It can be downloaded now at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and investtalk.com. Look for Rapid Fire Hour. Hi, this is Rich on Long Island. I have two um, questions. Number one, MGM, the casinos. I'm interested in that in terms of a reopening bet. And secondly, NOBL, Noble, it's an ETF dividend, aristocrats. Is that something I could use to hedge against inflation and a down market? Thanks so much. And the NOBL, I'm looking for long-term, 10 years. Thank you. All right, looking at MGM. Now, this is a name that's already recovered its full price from pre-pandemic. So I think that reopening trade is already priced in, to be honest with you. So I don't see much value there on MGM. So I would pass on that. Now, Noble is the S&P 500 Divin Aristocrat ETF. And the downside, let's see, let's look, I'm trying to look at the beta. So the beta on this is 0.92, which means it's 92% correlated with the S&P itself. So if the market goes down, for example, say 10%, this will go down, based on the statistics, 9.2%. So it'll be a little bit less volatile than the overall market. And, you know, is that enough? Eh, maybe. I think the better question is, will this grow as good, if not better, than the S&P 500 with that lower risk factor? And if you look at the history of this name, let's go to the performance. If you look at the longer term history, let's pull it up. It's been kind of spotty. In 2014, when this was launched into, uh, up until 2018, it did very well. Actually, it was in the top 50% performance quartile uh, within the dividend uh, sector. But the last three years, not so much. Actually, in the bottom half of uh, performance. So it depends on the market. Morningstar gives us two stars, just kind of eh, okay. It's, let's see, it's expense ratio. 0.35, uh, it's not expensive, it's not cheap. So, you know, I don't love it. What I would do is I would look at the names within this portfolio and buy those names individually. Right? What are the dividend aristocrats? And find the ones that you have more co most confident in and then build your own portfolio of maybe 25, 30 different names as opposed to this one who has 66 names in total. So that would be my strategy overall. Thanks for the call. Now I think we can squeeze another caller question in at 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin. This is Sam from Kennesaw, Georgia. I was hoping to get your thoughts on Stanley Black & Decker, ticker symbol SWK. It's currently at about $177 per share, and I'm curious to see if you think this is a good entry point to purchase. Love the show, and I look forward to hearing the answer on the podcast. All right, this is Stanley Black & Decker. You probably know who they are. They manufacture tools for professional, industrial, and consumer markets. This is one of the best-run companies longer-term from a profitability standpoint and it has very good long-term track record of positive cash flow growing that steadily over time it's not a giant grower right it's not gonna grow 20 30 percent a year but it's gonna be a solid 8 10 12 percent uh, grower over the long term 
And that's what I like about it. And return on equity, return on invested capital tends to be in the low to, to mid-teens, which I like. And they're, they're a solid performer. Uh, and I like the economic backdrop. So, uh, you know, it's a bit overvalued now. About 130, 135 is our value. Now it's at 174. Uh, so I like it, but at a lower price. This is the best talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hi, guys. This is Brayton from uh, Thousand Oaks. Appreciate the, the show and all that you guys do. Uh, I was just hoping I could get a little of your thoughts on the symbol Novavax. It's N-V-A-X. I got it around... 80 and it's been on quite a tear since then i was just wondering if you guys thought there was any room for it to keep running up or if i should just kind of get out and stay out uh, appreciate it thank you all right this is novavax and they developed one of the covid vaccines i believe it was in partnership with GlaxoSmithKline, if i'm remembering correctly uh you know there's a handful of them now johnson johnson just got approved and they're expected to make $25 a share this year after many, many years of losing money, hemorrhaging cash. And that's my big worry here is that they've been consistent destroyers of capital throughout their history. And they've kind of got lucky that they were had the right technology to develop a, a vaccine for this virus. But... The question is, how long is that going to last them, right? They've been issuing a ton of shares in the face of this rally in the stock. And you're already off from 320 down to 220 so off $100 a share, and you're still up a lot. I would, I would sell it. I, I, I think this is historically a bad company to own, right? They've had 5 million shares outstanding in 2010. Now they have 48 million. And that's doubled since 2019 when it was 24 million. So they've issued a ton of shares, certainly uh, improved their balance sheet and, and everything like that. But their business pre-pandemic was terrible. And I don't know. I don't see any reason why that's going to change post-pandemic just because of this one product that they developed. And, and there's many of them. It's not the only vaccine in town either. So... I'm going to pass on Novavax. I would sell it, move on, take your profits. Now, we have a great backlog of caller questions, and that's fantastic. We have a ton of you listening and calling in, and we love that. But we don't want to get them stale, so I'll try to get through as many as possible today. So let's grab this question from Florida. Hello, Stephen Justin. This is Marty from Florida. I'm calling you about the EV charging station company here. Uh, it's called Switchback Energy. Acquisition Group, it's SBE, formerly known as ChargePoint. They did a merger, the two companies, and they are the largest in the United States now. First of all, I wanted to know your thought on this. I know it has a ridiculous PE right now because it's just coming up and it looks like they're starting to try to make money, but I have a very sketchy, to say the least, earnings. It's kind of very vague in my system here. 
So my biggest question on this, too, is, is this something I want to bother with? I'm, my biggest concern is the oil companies coming in and purchasing all these companies up because they're not going to let, I don't think they'll let these other companies take over like this. And I figure they'll buy them out. What are your thoughts, please? And I'll hopefully hear you on the podcast. Thank you. All right, looking at Switchback Energy Corporation. Now, this is difficult. This is a SPAC, like you said, and SPACs are complex. There's typically not a lot of information on them, even post the announcement, right? Because they need to integrate the financial information from this once private company, now taking it public. So the information on them is typically not very good. So it's hard to understand the valuation. There are warrants involved that could dilute shareholders dramatically. So the structure of the SPAC is, is very, very important. So it's hard for me to give you much on this because I don't have much information. Now, what I'll say in this space is I, I do think that the Exxons of the world, they're going to move in. And they already have the distribution network, right? They have gas stations. All they need to do is retrofit gas stations with charging stations, etc. And, and, and I think some of them are going to start doing that. Um, will they go up and buy these type of companies? That's certainly possible as well. Uh, but what is the valuation based on what is reasonable? That's hard to say as, uh, as well. So you really have to dig into this and understand the business that's being acquired before I can give you or you can give yourself a good idea of this, if it makes sense or not. So uh, sorry I couldn't help you more than that, but all these specs, you really have to dig in pretty deep. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. You can find them anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, as well as investtalk.com. And be sure to rate and review. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.